0: Welcome back everybody to our final Inside the Draft for 2023. This of course a recap edition of Inside the Draft. I'm Matt Taylor, Casey Vallier as well. We're inside the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio. And you know back in February we started this series. We took a look at the draft on a weekly basis. Obviously a lot of intrigue this year for the Colts as they were picking in the top four, ultimately drafting Anthony Richardson, number four overall, the quarterback out of Florida. We started with our good friend Charlie Campbell from Walter Football, one of the most consistent and accurate NFL draft analysts in the business. And it's only fitting that we end with him as well, recapping the Colts draft and discussing their 12-player haul they brought in over draft weekend. Charlie, good to be with you again, sir. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing good. Post-draft life for Charlie Campbell, what is that like? What are some things that you've had to to, to put aside real-life-wise to pick back up with after the draft, after you went full bore for almost four months?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, those final few weeks are super busy (laughs) writing-wise and work-wise, so now I just have to catch up on... Lots of things like car repairs and vet checkups and bills to pay yeah. and all kinds of uh, family business that I kind of gets put on hold.
0: Indeed, so. indeed. Yep. Join the rest of us in that regard. All right, so uh, we appreciate that, how busy you are post-draft. So you've got the Colts, I read, you've got the Colts as your third most impressive draft. Why do, why do you feel that way?
1: Yeah, I thought they had an excellent draft uh, overall. Not surprising because uh, Chris Ballard and Morocco Brown and, uh, you know, the, um, that whole team there with the Colts uh, really has just been tremendous over the years uh, in the draft. So I'm not at all surprised that, uh, that uh, Dodds as well. Uh, That whole group has just been one of the best scouting and evaluating teams in the NFL, Uh, and I think they they just hit another home run with this draft
2: class. Now, before we dive into the Colts, I'm going to stick with your draft grades. When you look at the AFC South, three quarterbacks taken there with Levis Stroud and Anthony Richardson. You gave draft grades of A's to both the Titans and Texans, along with the Colts. When you look at what this AFC South can be this could be one of them you know one of those divisions that for the next you know decade or so if these quarterbacks work out could be a lot of fun to watch
1: yeah definitely I mean Walt does the draft grades uh so he he's the one who gave the end of those grades out but I uh definitely think it's really exciting to see the young quarterbacks in that division when you have one at each team with Richardson and Bryce Young going to the Colts and Texans, respectively. Uh, Levis landing with the Titans. And obviously, Trevor Lawrence is still very young in his career. So, uh, you know, it could be setting up some great rivalries and uh, some really amazing quarterback matchups with these quarterbacks that uh, all have good arms, good athletic ability, can make plays with their feet, uh, could could lead to some epic games in the AFC South.
2: Now, sticking with that Colts perspective and Anthony Richardson, it's one of those things where it's been hard to not talk about the accuracy issues leading up through this whole thing, but then the athletic traits that are off the board. When you look at Anthony Richardson inside this Shane Steichen offense, how good of a fit do you feel like that is here in Indianapolis?
1: I think it's a great fit because I think uh, with Steichen, with what he did, Uh, with Justin Herbert and then Jalen Hurts he's really ready to go for this kind of quarterback and the kind of player that Anthony Richardson is so I think it definitely uh, is a good fit and Richardson just you know he's a raw mold of play he really has not been taught yet I've you know, spoken with teams and other coaches and his development just did not happen at the University of Florida and I think part of it was the coaching change they had there uh, you know the previous staff had more senior players ahead of him on the depth chart so that hurt practice reps and then uh, when the new change comes over there's always learning a new scheme and getting acquainted with that and then Uh, games get started up and he only ends up starting one season so he really has not been groomed well and taught at all so uh, in some ways that's a good thing because you don't have to undo some bad habits necessarily but he still needs a lot of work and development like you said and the accuracy in the short to intermediate part of the field but he hasn't been taught things yet so I think once he's learning more about how to set his feet up and things like that Um, He could make some real strides and obviously he has amazing upside uh, with what he can do physically as a runner and uh, the arm strength. He can make throws that other quarterbacks wish they could make. He can make plays with his feet uh, that other guys just can't even consider trying. So uh, he really is a huge upside player, and I think the Colts are the perfect landing spot for him.
0: You know, staying with that, Charlie. For you, how much context was there in that regard for Richardson last year at Florida that kind of skewed his draft evaluation when it when it comes to, you know, accuracy and completion percentage? How much context for you went into, you know, evaluating him as a draft prospect that could go in the top five?
1: Yeah, I, I mean that definitely kind of gave you two sides of the coin in terms of uh, as evaluating him. On the plus side, you saw what what he just did with a raw skill set and no development, and the big plays he could make uh, just off of that. And on the downside, uh, you know that you got quite a project on your hands in terms of teaching and developing. Uh, so he definitely has a long ways to go, but, uh, I, I think that when you consider what he, you know, the, what happened at Florida while he was there, uh, overall, it kind of helps to understand why there's this rawness and the development is necessary. Uh, and it kind of helps to understand, uh, why, you know, he is where he is at this time. So I, uh, overall, I think it, it, benefits him and it also shows that uh you know he i think there's loyalty there he could have been one of these guys who transferred out after year one or Mm -hmm. transferred out after dan mullen got fired but he stayed with the program and with his teammates uh and was known to be a worker and a guy that uh definitely loved football and put the time in so uh, overall, I think he, he, you know, he handled himself well, and the, the curveballs that college football threw at him, he rolled with, and just tried to do the best he could for his team and for himself. And so, overall, I think it speaks well for Anthony Richardson.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Now, Charlie, I've got a kind of a funky question. Maybe you can follow along with me here. So, when you look at the top of the draft. Uh, The Texans trade from 12 to 3, right, with the Cardinals to get Will Anderson. And that kind of opened the door for the Colts to get the guy that they wanted all along um, in Richardson at 4. Now, obviously, nobody in the draft knows that. But, you know, with those two teams being division rivals, the Colts and Texans, was it more important for the Texans to get Will Anderson or possibly let another team move up to 3 with the Cardinals and pick up a quarterback and block the Colts from getting the third best quarterback in this draft class, which ultimately ended up being Richardson in terms of how they came off the board? Or if you're the Texans, can you even worry about that because you're, you're thinking the Colts are going to draft a quarterback no matter what, so don't let's not even worry about that. Let's just go up and get the guy that we love and cherish that much going from 12 to 3 to get the best defensive player in the draft. Am I making any sense in saying that? Do you follow that at all?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think from the Texans' perspective, they they know the Colts are gonna, right? You know, get the guy that that you know. I just mean, four, I just mean by uh,
0: them by them trading up to three, it opened up the door for the Colts to get the franchise quarterback that they're gonna have to battle against twice a year for the next hopefully decade.
1: Sure, I, I, but I think the the kind of. The issue there is for the Texans is it probably would have happened anyway. Not Arizona, really would have had another trading partner emerge, uh, because obviously that is an expensive trade to make going into the top three. And the Texans, you know, right now I think in Houston it's all you know sunshine and rainbows and pie in the sky. But next year, that pick could be really high. There could be a player or multiple prospects better than Will Anderson available uh, at that spot that now they won't have a shot at. And they could have had a good player at 12, Mm -hmm. you know, this year. So, in my opinion, it was a very risky gambit. I don't really like it from the Texans' perspective because Will Anderson is not a physical freak. He's going to be a good player, don't get me wrong. I think... He'll be a solid, you know, eight to 10, 11 sack kind of guy, um, you know, and, and be a solid player. But I don't think he's going to be a Von Miller kind of pl- you know player. He doesn't have that kind of rare speed or overwhelming power. So to get, you know, to give up that much for a guy that's a good player when you could have still gotten a good player at twelve and then potentially a, you know, another really good player next year that's a big price to pay. And I don't think they can really, they could really bank on another team trading up to three to get Richardson and deny the Colts landing him. I mean, they, you know, teams get secretive, they'll, they'll put out the smoke screens and mislead and not really, you know, tip off other teams, what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think they, they would have been, you know, if they didn't move up there, then, Uh, I still think the Colts would have gotten Richardson. I think if the Cardinals didn't have a trade with the Texans, they would have been forced to stick and pick and probably would have just taken Paris Johnson at three overall.
2: With a first round, you always have a lot of pressure to you, but does this add even more pressure to a guy like Will Anderson because of what the Texans had to get up to get him?
1: I think so. I, I, I do think that it definitely... Uh, you know, not only for him, but also for D'Amico Ryan's yeah. head coach and right. Casario, their general manager, because you have two first-round picks invested in him. So, you know, let's say that you could, just for, uh, you know, just for an example, we could say if the Texans had kept that pick at 12, they could have landed, say, uh, Lucas Van Ness or Will McDonald who went at 13 and 15 right. uh, to get a, a solid starter for the defensive line and uh, Will McDonald I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's the best pass rusher to come out of this draft the most prolific sack guy definitely won't be as good a run defender as Will Anderson but I wouldn't be surprised if he produces more sacks because that's just what he is is a sack monster so um I could see, so let's say they get that uh, at pick 12 instead of Will Anderson, and they have that first-round pick that they dealt away for next year, and maybe that turns into a really good interior lineman like Mason Smith from LSU. Uh, So let's say, would you rather have Will Anderson or Will McDonald and Mason Smith? Me personally, I'm taking Will McDonald and Mason Smith, so... Uh, I just I think that that is, you know, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Casario and D'Amico Ryans, in my opinion, that that they made the right call to invest two first round picks in Anderson rather than getting two good starters, you know, and and understanding that that you won't get Anderson, but you're going to have more quantity of good players as a result.
2: Now, Charlie, flipping back to the Colts, one of the things that I think we talked to you about is the definite area of need at cornerback that the Colts needed to address, and they definitely did that. They selected three corners, highlighted by Juju Brents. When you look at the cornerback collective that they got with Darius Russ and Jalen Jones late, what do you make of the cornerbacks the Colts added to the roster?
1: Yeah, I think that was really great drafting by them. I think Brent is a solid safe pick in the second round to be a good starter he's going to help them with big receivers and really to uh, have an outside guy and he's also physical and tough against the run uh, so I, I think that that was a really nice pick for them in the second round I actually had them taking Brents in the second round of my final mock draft and then on day three I think Rush is a really nice player I knew some teams uh, that were considering him in the third round, uh, so getting him in the fifth I think is a really good value for them. Uh, and then in the seventh round, I think Jalen Jones was a really excellent pick for a seventh rounder, and the odds there because most you know as we know, most late round picks don't pan out. but Jones definitely has an NFL skill set. He's big, he has quickness, he has strength. Uh, so definitely for a seventh-round pick, I think that's a high upside mm-hmm. move right there uh, because he has an early-round skill set. So that they could end up coming away with three uh, nice cornerbacks from that trio. All
0: right, let's stay on day three, round four. Blake Freeland, uh, Charlie, is he a player that can come in and, and compete right away? I mean, does his game need any refinement in order to challenge Bernard Ryman at left tackle, let's say? Yeah, I mean, most most
1: college players do, I think, especially with an offensive tackle as tall as Freeland. You know, it's just going to be a, a leverage uh, concern, you know, for guys that are that tall. Mm-hmm. When they stand up high, that gets them in danger of, you know, say a smaller speed rusher kind of darting by them, and they're, they're just, you know, playing too high, and guys get underneath and dip past them and whatnot. So... That's going to be something he'll have to work on uh, for the NFL, just maintaining leverage. Um, But I I think that in the fourth round, that's a really good pick. And I think uh, because at worst, he could be a nice swing tackle backup where you have a guy that could move to left or right tackle if you have an injury on game day. Uh, So I think for a fourth rounder, that's really kind of the – the early goal is mm-hmm. that he can be that swing tackle to help you uh, with some game day depth, that right or left tackle. So if you're dressing eight offensive linemen, you got your five starters, you know, Freeland could back up two different spots right, right. and get, just give you more flexibility.
0: All right, also in the fourth round... Charlie, what kind of steal is at a Tamawa, at a Barre? Uh, that's the first part of the question. The second part is after the draft on his draft call, he said he prefers to play interior defensive line, particularly the three technique, kind of backing up, at least initially, DeForest Buckner. Is that what you see from him, too, early on uh, from his rookie year at a Northwestern?
1: Yeah, I think that's his best fit. And I think that's the reason why he slid to the fourth round, even though some. Uh, you know, projections were out there of him going in the first or it was because of the size and the tweener kind of issue. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, but talking with, with other scouts and stuff, they felt that him moving inside and playing as a three technique would be his best fit. I think if, especially if he can add five to ten pounds to help him hold up on the inside. And then he can be a nice player to to spell Buckner keep them fresh for four quarters and have them ready to go when uh, you need a critical pass rush, you know, late in the game. Um, so he, you know, you're not wasting him early and he's spent at that time. So uh, I think that that was a nice pick for the Colts as a rotational backup with upside that, you know, he, obviously he, the speed he showed at the combines for real uh, plays tough so I definitely think that that's a nice pick for the Colts in the mid rounds.
2: Now having Jonathan Taylor on the roster definitely gives you some, you know, leeway when it comes to running back, but I'm a big proponent of kind of taking a running back in every draft because injuries happen. You can always you can always afford to have multiple because typically you have five or six guys that are playing throughout a season and the Colts drafted Evan Hall, who's kind of the pass-catching back out of the backfield, and the Colts lost that with Naeem Hines. How do you see him fitting in there with guys like Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss, and this Steichen offense?
1: I think that Evan Hall was a real nice value. I really liked him. I thought uh, that was a real strength of this draft class with some of the mid-round running back talent. Obviously, there were two really good ones. Uh, for the first round, but he, but after them, I thought that day two and day three running backs are really good, and Hall was one of the guys that made it a strong class. He's a tough runner, can definitely do some things in the passing game, uh, so I I think that he'll be a really solid number two or three back, and if you had an injury to the starter, I think your running game uh, you know, wouldn't go down the tubes with him taking over as the starting back. I think he could keep it, you know, churning along and uh, not just, you know, going down to nothing. So uh, that was – he's. He, I think he'll be a really good NFL backup, number two, three back, to rotate and, and keep the backs fresh.
0: All right, last one, Charlie, putting the bow on the NFL draft for you. You've talked about players that rose and fell. Uh, which player fell the most that you're surprised by at any point in this draft?
1: Well, good question. I mean, I think Will Levis sliding to the mm-hmm. second round was a bit surprising because you know after <clears throat> after Tennessee at eleven and you know Houston at twelve, with then Houston taking Stroud, but there were other teams that were seemingly in on Levis, like Tampa Bay at nineteen. Um, the Seahawks at 20, the Vikings at 23. Uh, so him getting past all of those teams uh, and falling to the second round was surprising to me. I think uh, Joey Porter Jr. falling to the second round, although he went at the first pick in the second round, uh, was a bit of a surprise. So uh, those, those guys really stood out to me as surprising slides. And Brian branched. Uh, The safety slash cornerback from Alabama, I thought he was a first-rounder. I know teams felt on tape he was a first-rounder, but because of the slow 40 time, that caused him to slide Mm -hmm. into the second round. But I think the Lions got a steal with him because – He was all over the field for Alabama last year and just a phenomenal tackler. It's rare to see a defensive back that can tackle as well as Branch does. So uh, those were the kind of sliders that really jumped out to me as being shocks uh, during the draft. I couldn't believe they were still available.
0: There you go. He's one of the best around covering the NFL draft. Charlie Campbell, Walter Football, at Draft Campbell on Twitter. Charlie, we started this process with you. It's always fitting that we end it with you. We love you. Thank you so much for your time breaking it all down for us, pre-draft, post-draft. Have a great summer coming up. Enjoy your time off and enjoy that daughter of yours, all right? Give her a kiss for us. (laughs) Will do. Thanks,
1: guys. Always great talking with you. Have a great summer and get ready for camp.
0: (laughs) It's going to be here before you know it. Thank you, Charlie.
1: Take care, guys. Thanks.